<laughs> well, first off, I just want to say thank you to everybody who helped with this week and uh, prepare everything. We had some people out for vacation, so it was just awesome to see everybody come together. I know it's a lot of work that goes into it with the text and the preparing and all that stuff, so just thank you if you help in any way make uh, Wednesdays and Sundays possible. Um, before we get started, I want to pray once again. I don't think we can get enough prayer, so let's go ahead and um, open up with prayer. Father God, um, thank you for your message today. I pray that it um, penetrates our hearts and we can just uh, fellowship together, praise you together, and just seek your word together. And I know it's not my words here today, but it's your words and that you can um, change us no matter what we're facing. You can comfort us no matter what we're facing, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so today we're going to be in the in the Word with Luke nine fifty seven. So <clears throat> if you have your Bible, just open up with me. Say Amen when you're there. All right. So it says. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and I will your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, "Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family." But Jesus told him, "Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God." So here we have a, a challenging passage in the book of Luke. And first we must um, acknowledge that Christ is saying it takes sacrifice to follow him, right? It's not going to be easy. He doesn't say that, you know, it's all going to be fun, just accept me, and it's, and it's all going to be easy. It's going to take sacrifice. And here with these men, he's examining their hearts, right? It's not that he has a problem with, you know, um, having a place to live or pl having a place to lay your head or burying your family or saying goodbye to your family, but it's more an examination of the heart. And putting Christ first. And with these three gentlemen, they, it was clear that their lips were saying they would follow him, but their heart was not. So keeping Christ first place in your life and following after him is not easy, and it will take sacrifice. And I, this is just me thinking, but if they would have said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, let's go right now, he probably would say, well, first go say goodbye to your family. Because it's not that he didn't want them to say goodbye to their family, but that he wanted to examine their hearts. And once your heart is right, it says, first seek the kingdom of God, and all else will be given unto you. And so today, what he's asking people, and just like in Luke, what he was asking is, will you follow me? Uh, and K.P. Johan, he has a sermon index, if you don't know what sermon index is. It's a website where you can go listen to all kinds of sermons from the past. And he had a, an awesome way of explaining how um, Christ is, you, you are supposed to follow after Christ. And he pretty much used this um, invitation to a restaurant. So say there's a 
restaurant owner, and he says, I want you to come to my banquet. I w I'm inviting you here. And you say, okay, well, I'm going to be there. And he calls you and asks you, you know, where are you at? And the person says, well, I don't know how to get there. I'm lost. And he says, okay, stay there. I'm going to come get you, and you're just going to follow me to the banquet. You're just going to follow me there. And so Christ, the owner of the restaurant, comes and finds you, and you're to drive after him and follow him. And there's a lot of distractions along the way. There's other restaurants, and it may seem like a long journey at times, but we are to know that we are just to follow Christ. And Gerald Brooks, we go there, you know, every year. Pastor Jim's been gracious enough to always take me along with him, but he has some awesome leadership, biblical leadership stuff that he talks about. And one of the things he always says is, you know, if you're going to follow after Christ and you're going to be a leader, you have to have a servant heart and you have to be able to lead others by example, just as Christ did. So we have to have a servant heart. That means, you know, there's going to be times when people come to you with issues just because you're a Christian and they're going to ask you for help. And it's not, and no matter what you have going on in your life, you still have to stop and help them. You can't say, no, I don't have time for you today, right? We don't get to do that as leaders. And it's not just a pastor's job. It's not just the leader of the church's job, but as a leader in the church of Christ. So I don't care how many you're pastoring, right? It could be just your family. It could be five. It could be ten. You could have a church of hundreds or thousands. But no matter how many you're pastoring, I do believe that Brooks is right in the sense that they're going to look at two things. Or do you have a servant heart? And are you living by example like Christ did? And, you know, even Brooks acknowledges this and seems hopeless at times, right? Because Christ is perfect, and I'm not. I know I'm not perfect. And if I'm sorry to burst anybody's bubbles, but you're not perfect either. Okay, if that's a shock to you. But we know that we are not perfect, and that's a hard um, level to attain where we're seeking after Christ who someone is perfect. But don't you know that God always asks more from us because his strength is made perfect in our weakness, right? If we could do it all by ourselves, there would be no need for Christ. We have to have Christ, even in the pursuit of following him. And so many people have said, you know, God never gives us more than we can bear, right? Well, he'll never give you more than you can bear, but I make the argument, and I've heard a pastor say this over this past week, that he always asks for more than you can bear, because that way you can't do it by yourself, right? Like, you can't Say, I'm a, you know, if you have a gift of speaking, which a lot of people do, I don't, but some people do, if they can do it all themselves and they try to do it all themselves, and many churches try to do it all themselves, there's no Christ in that. They're not seeking after Christ. They're just doing what the gift they have. So you were not created to do it all by your gifting or your strength. And there's many who try to do it, but to follow after Christ, you need a supernatural spiritual power right, that you could only get from Christ Jesus. Um, and we see plenty of times in the Old Testament where people do try to do it themselves. If you remember Abraham, God promised him a son. And somewhere along the way, he thought, well, you know, maybe if, you know, his wife too, they agreed, if we just, you know, have a child with this servant woman, maybe that's what God's talking about. We can do it ourselves. We don't have to wait upon God, Right. But God did have a plan. If he just would have trusted him and, and been patient and believed the word, not try to do it all himself, God would have been faithful. We also see it in Samson, right? He, God gives him this inability, this 
huge amount of strength where he can fight and destroy total armies by himself. And so he relies on his gift, but he gets so confident in his gift that he forgets that who gave it to him and where his strength comes from. And then even in the New Testament, you have a, a, a guy that comes up to Jesus and he says, you know, what must I do to be saved? Right? It was like, well, follow the Ten Commandments, you know, do everything perfectly if you want to be saved and you want to save your own life and live forever. And he says, well, I've done all that. And he says, well, then give all you have to the poor. And, and you know, he's asking more of him because he was trying to get through his head that you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it with your gifting. You need to have Christ. So to keep a servant heart and to live for the example of others to follow, we must acknowledge we have to have the almighty hand of God and daily renew our hearts with prayer and his word to keep our hearts right. Um, Raven Hill, who, you know, Wendy Moore, and she's given me a book, has just been awesome about, uh, I think it's Why Revival Terries. And he, did, I mean, there's no bad passages in there. So if you're looking for a really good book, it's very hard, but it's an awesome book to read. And one of the things he says, you know, about prayer is if you're not praying, you're playing, right? You're, you're not being serious about it because many people can go to church and put on the makeup of church and act like they're, you know, part of the church. But if you're not in prayer, then you're playing, right? And even Gerald Brooks, he said on many occasions, if you're not praying, you're not going to make it, Right? And he's talking to leaders, but at the same time, as pastors of the church, as leaders of the Christian faith, people are going to come to us, and we have to know that if you're not in prayer, the weight is too heavy, right? We can't make it all by ourselves. So at every day and at any moment, you know you could get a phone call at someone's worst hour, worst day, you know, they get cancer, a child dies, whatever it may be, and if you're not praying you're not going to make it because the weight is too much, and that's what he talks about. And, you know, even when Christ was faced with the cross, you know, he cried blood, and he sweated, and his sweat was blood because he was under such agony. He knew the weight of what he had to do. He prepared his whole life for it, but it didn't make it easy, right? He knew it was going to take sacrifice. <clears throat> and Luke 9.57, you know, Sacrifice is a part of following Christ. That means, you know, you may not get invited to all the parties that your friends go to because you don't drink or you don't smoke or you don't talk like they talk. That's a sacrifice. And you say, well, that's a small sacrifice compared to what they had in the New Testament. But you know what? God rejoices in every sacrifice, no matter how big or how small. And, you know, people may not talk to you because they, don't feel, they feel awkward around you because you don't talk like they do or they see something different about you. You know, that's part of the social sacrifice. <clears throat> And, you know, what I'm so proud of this church and getting to be a part of it is, you know, we sacrifice a lot of the advertisements and the luxuries of getting to have a property and a building simply because we can serve the community with our resources. You know, we don't go out and, you know, yeah, we would love to have a building, but if it's before serving the community, then it's not right. Like, we don't stop, you know, missions just to have a building. <clears throat> and, you know, we had the back-to-school um, backpack drive here last week. And it's pretty cool to see, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but cool at the same time because you have tons of families that don't have much, and they have five kids, and they're coming in there. They're, some of the kids literally came in barefoot with no shoes, and their feet were black, and that was probably the only shoes they're going to get for the rest of the year. 
you know, and they come in and they're just running to go get those shoes and running to get those backpacks that you just made someone's, you know, year something they couldn't afford they have. <clears throat> and we also got to be on the prayer side of it where we got to pray for people as they came in and, you know, we had all kinds of responses. We didn't have any banners saying prayer, any t-shirts that said prayer, but God still brought people to us that needed prayer. <clears throat> and so, you know, there was a, a mom, she came up and I said, you know, do you need prayer for anything? She said, yes, we had a family member who just died in a motorcycle accident. If you would pray with us. And so we got to me and Betty, I think, prayed with them. And then we had, you know, another mom didn't have much, but had a lot of kids. And she literally came up and, you know, grabbed her kid and said, okay, you're going to get on your knees and you're going to pray right now. And, you know, and, you know, they understood the power of getting on your knees. They didn't have much, but they knew the power of getting on your knees in prayer. <clears throat> and, you know, we even saw um, one of the pastors out of Kingsland who's battling cancer and he's going through chemo. And um, he's actually gained weight through chemo, and the nurses don't understand how he's gaining weight, right? Because he's just a man of faith that believes that God's going to heal him, and he's not relenting. And I got to pray with him, and I get to coach his son, and it's just, uh, you know, a blessing and an honor. <clears throat> and then we got to pray with, you know, some of our supervisors, like Mr. Fields at the high school. He let us pray with him, which was awesome. Um, Mickey Hughes, my direct supervisor, I had to make sure he wasn't, you know, jotting down <clears throat> how good my prayer was, but he... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he let me pray with him, which was really cool. But on the other side of that, you know, we had some slight suffering to our egos, praise God, because our egos need to suffer. You know, people laughed at us. I know Joyce said that, you know, people laughed at us as we prayed over their kids. You know, they're like, okay, you can pray with them, but we're going to laugh the whole time while you do it. You know, there was even other faculty higher up than my supervisor. They're like, no, I don't need prayer. Thank you, though. You know, I'm, I'm fine. And then you, you have those people who do the same approach that you do when you see a homeless man on the side of the street. I'm just not going to make eye contact. I'm just going to stare straight. I don't see you, you know. And you're standing right there. You're like, you're not going anywhere. There's a, a long line, but they still don't make eye contact. So we get laughed at. We get rejected and probably made fun of at times. But we know that that's all suffering that Christ has called us to. Amen? <clears throat> And it seems, like I said, small sacrifices. Like, man, these people in the New Testament and, and Christ, he died. Like, when these men said, let me say goodbye to my family, they probably knew that they were going to die like John the Baptist was beheaded. Like, they knew that, okay, if I follow Christ, I'm going to die probably. And these sacrifices seem, you know, irrelevant in a first world country. But I do believe that these small sacrifices, as well as the big, Christ rejoices in. And I said on Wednesday, uh, as being a father, you know, a, a young father, but I get to see Briley, and, you know, she gets her heathen moments when she doesn't get her naps, and she doesn't get her food, and she gets hangry. But, <clears throat> but she, uh, there's also moments where she just says, I love you. And I don't even know if she understands what love is, but it still touches my heart, right? It's something small and minor like that that still gets to me. And I don't think Christ is any different. If I'm, you know, a sinful and evil person who can understand that. Don't you think God understands the small sacrifices that we make for him? <clears throat> and, you know, here's some of the questions that this, um, this passage brings to the church. And one of them is, you know, how do we bring people to Christ with a message of sacrifice and suffering, right? How are we supposed to do it if it's not easy? And I don't know, but Christ did it, and his words still spread out. He didn't go through and say, it's all going to be 
cupcakes and rainbows, right? He said it's going to be tough. And it even reminds me of, you know, military people who, they don't join the service because of the awesome pay. You know, they don't join it because they're going to have a lot of family time or security because you know you're going to die. But yet they join anyways, right? You know, Christ only chose 12 disciples that he would take to battle with them. And as a football coach, I'm under the impression you give me 11 guys that are sold out and we'll go both ways and we'll give it all we have. And I just recently watched When the Game Stands Tall. I don't know if any of y'all have seen that that movie, but it's really good. It's about a, a high school out of De La Salle, California. And for 10 years, they didn't lose a single football game. They won every single game. And at some point, they kind of got relaxed, and they opened the season up, and they lose their very first two games. But what is like shock, one of the shocking points to it about me, or to me, was that you know the coach never talked about winning the football game. He only talked about brotherhood, family, and doing the right thing, using fo- football to make better people in the community. And they still won. That wasn't his desire, but that's what happened. And then so as they start the season out, they lose their first two games, and they're going to play this team out of South California, Long Beach Poly, which has tons more athletes, bigger guys. They're undefeated. Like, there's no way that they can win the game. But through that um, adversity, they, they found themselves, and they came back together, and they realized that it wasn't in their skill or, you know, their coach, but it was in their, their bond together that made them successful. And so, you know, they get out there, and they're playing the game, and it's 105 degrees, and they don't know how they're going to withstand it, but they keep getting up. And even the other coach, after halftime, he's like, man, how do these guys keep getting up? They're going both ways. We have new players every play, and they just keep getting up. I don't understand it. So, you know, they end up winning the game, and, like, no one can understand how these guys are winning the game because their bond was so close, and they were committed. They have 11 guys that were committed to each other. And one of the comments the player said was, I'm not coming off this field unless they carry me in a stretcher, right? Uh, like, you're not getting me off this field. I'm here because of the guy next to me. And even if the coach calls me off, like, I want to be here. So, you know, God is always asking for more, and we need him to complete the mission. And, you know, one of the other questions that this raises, uh, so we can use less of ourselves and see more of God, you know, so that means we can have smaller buildings in the church, less technology, less salaries or no salaries for the preachers in the church, and yet have a bigger impact on the kingdom, and my response is yes, we can sacrifice our big churches and our huge salaries and rely less on our business-like mentality and still have God move, you know, the other question is, well, isn't the burden light and the yoke easy? You know, isn't God supposed to uh, keep us safe? Yes, but not when the absence of sacrificing, but during sacrificing, right? Getting out of your comfort zone. You know, one of the things you see is the, the power of death is kind of taken away through the sacrifice of Christ. And in a true believer, I think you see that. They don't view death the same way, right? You know, they, you can just sense it like you see people who don't believe in Christ and They don't understand and they're bawling, but a true believer, they have a peace that surpasses all understanding in that moment of sacrifice that, yeah, it's sad that I don't get to see them, but I know what, you know, God has planned and that his plan is perfect. And the other question this could raise is, you know, how are we to bring more people 
in and convert them if there's no cookie-cutter method, right? Aren't you supposed to confess with your mouth and believe with your heart? But don't you know that even those men, God said, follow me. They said, I will follow you, but their lips said it, but their hearts did not. You know, salvation doesn't start with the lips, but it starts with the heart, because whatever is in the heart will come out of the lips. <clears throat> we must realize that it's not our responsibility to convert, but to proclaim. You know, many people are faced in their workplace, and I've seen many of you in here say, you know, I live in a, or I work in a place that as a hostile environment that they don't view Christianity, you know, in the right way, and you'll have people in your workplace that condemn you and make fun of you for your beliefs. And in those moments, you get to sacrifice for Christ. Your job is not to convert them, but to proclaim Christ to them. <clears throat> you know, a few passages earlier in Luke 9.53, the disciples were kind of faced with a similar situation in persecution, it says, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. And when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And additional little hyphen you have right there, and you can look down some alternate meanings. And one of the meanings, I saw this is so good, but it said, you don't realize what your hearts are like. So here they are rebuking these people who are not accepting Christ, and Christ is saying to them, you don't know what your hearts are like. And it reminds me, uh, we were at camp this past, you know, this past camp we just had, and it's always fun to get to go there with the kids, and it's a lot of work, and you're tired, but um, I get to spend time with Jim. I hope he keeps getting to go because it's, he gets to spend time with me and get to talk. And one of the things he told me was this story about South Korea is when he was stationed there, I think it was South Korea, right? And um, one of the things, you know, prostitution was legal there. And so they take the doors off the, the rooms because women tend to get beat a whole lot. Like, they just get mauled. And, and I asked him, you know, a pretty simple question. Like, well, why do they do that? And he, his response, you know, kind of made me think for the next two weeks. He said, well, why do you need a reason? Don't you know how wicked your heart is? Don't you know that you are just as capable of sin as they are? And so that made me, you know, really think, I'm no better than them, right? I'm just as capable of sin as they are. And if you think any different, you're fooling yourself. <clears throat> you know, even in Luke later in chapter 10, verse 8, <clears throat> Jesus is telling to the other 72 people that he found that their hearts were right, and he sent them before him to Paris, and he said, if you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you, heal the sick, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go into the streets and say, we wipe even the dust of the town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. Because rejection of Christ brings about its own fate. It's not our responsibility to convert, but to proclaim. <clears throat> and we have to understand that suffering in the early church was far more than what we suffer now. We, you know, you say this guy's up here in his Under Armour polo talking about suffering, you know. Uh, you know, I understand that I haven't suffered near as much as the early church did, but Nevertheless, you know, we have to still rejoice in our small sacrifices just as Christ rejoices in us. <clears throat> and um, 
William Carroll, he had another sermon index, and he titled it, When God Asks Too Much. And I believe every Christian, and he believed this as well, will face a point in time in their life when they say, God, that's too much. I don't know if I can do that. Like, I don't know if I can get up in front of these people. You know, Moses said, I don't know if I can go to the Israelites and to Pharaoh and say, you know, let my people go. <clears throat> but, um, where was I? But he said, you know, there will become a time when Christ demands more than you can bear. And in those moments, we're not in prayer, we're not seeking after God. If we're not returning unto him daily, it will be too much for us. That he finishes the work, that he gives us the strength. It is not the work of our own hands. Um, Even, and you know, God calls us to him knowing that we need him to follow him. And I'm going to say that again. Uh, God calls us unto him knowing we need him to follow him. You can't do it without Christ. And the mission still stands today. Returning to Christ every day after each mistake. Renew your heart in him. You know, I think a lot of the problem we have is we make mistakes and we struggle along the ways. And we think, I'm not at the right place to return to God. You know, God can't look at me right now because I'm too much in sin. But in those moments, I don't care where you are in your sin or where you've messed up or how far away you've gone. If you will just stop and return to them, he will welcome you in open arms. Through grace we are saved, which was created on the cross and the sacrifice of the perfect life he lived. And anything we could suffer, you have to realize, I said this on Wednesday, Christ suffered it first on the cross. He suffered persecution, rejection. He suffered suffered physical pain on the cross. Anything that you could ever suffer in your life, he's already suffered on the cross. So my, um, my message today, it may seem harsh or hard, you know, you have to sacrifice, we have to do all this stuff for Christ, but remember, it's not you, it's him. And as we continue in the journey with him and as we continue to follow after him, he will change your hearts daily and he will push you to where you need to go. So it may seem harsh, but it's also an encouragement, right? We get to suffer for Christ. We get to pursue after Christ. And we get to get, be a part of the kingdom at hand, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, um, I'm already through my notes. And you know that happens a lot when you, when you get up here. Like I got plenty planned out. But I know that uh, God is always faithful, and no matter what you're facing in your life, I know Wendy Lamock, she's not here today because she had a death in her family, and so I ask that you just keep in prayer for her, and you know, we have to, that's the whole point of meeting in this building, in this church, is so that we can build each other up, prepare ourselves for the journey ahead, because it will require sacrifice, okay? So... As we close and as Pastor Jim comes up and as worship comes up, I just pray that we encourage each other for the week ahead, for the journey ahead, for the sacrifice ahead, knowing that Christ is faithful, knowing that we can't do it alone, but he is asking the same question, will you follow me, right? Will you follow me? He asked it to the, to the men in front of him, and they, with their lips they said they would follow him, but their hearts said otherwise. And the remarkable part is, you know, after that, he still found 72 other people that their hearts were right, and he sent them out before him. And going back to 
what Brooks said is, you know, it takes a servant heart. It takes a, a heart of, I'm going to serve God's kingdom. And you also have to strive for Christ and to live the way he did because that's the example he put before us. And as impossible as that seems, that's the call to us today. So as a, we close in prayer, I, I ask you just, you know, cry out to God, you know, whatever's in my heart, whatever needs to be removed, I realize I can't do it without you, that you will just um, pursue him and just follow him, follow him to where he has planned you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your message today. And these words are not mine, and I am incapable of saying anything that's good or perfect, but I know you are faithful. And you bring a message that can change the heart, and you bring your spirit into us, which changes our, our vision and where we're planning to go. And you give us everything that we need. And in our suffering and in our hard moments, I pray that you will continue to change us, continue to grow us, continue to push us towards your kingdom as we follow you. I don't know what lays ahead of this church. I don't know what lays ahead of each one of these individuals' lives, but I know that um, you are faithful to complete the work you started. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.